Blog Talk Radio. Jean-Luc Jordy Specs, mysteries on the holodecks, asteroids, triple droids, telepathic betazoids, transporter, deadly claw, visitor from L.A. law, photons, no Kirk, captain has gone berserk, shuttlecraft, console Troy, Dr. Crusher's little boy, Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights, Data's head, Tasha's dead, Wyke is hanging by a thread, celebration, transformations, everyone to battle stations. Well, good evening, truckies and truckers around the globe. It's time for another episode of... No, that's not. This is Comic Corner. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm really kind of psyched about terra firma and talking about that on Thursday, but this is a different show. This is comic corner. And uh, we're going to bring to you the latest and greatest news from the world of star Trek in the comics. And with me as usual are my co-host Charles. He's out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. I just wish we didn't have a wind today. It was windy and chilly today. Wow. That's wow. And we also have with us Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing great. Typical little fall day here, kinda of wet and rainy. Uh not too much going on. Nice quiet Monday. Well, we're expecting a foot of snow here in Vermont, so I'll see where it goes. If it dumps on me or it dumps on Leslie or uh maybe it'll go further <laughs> further south and it'll hit New York City and it won't get here at all. We'll have to wait and see, but tis the season. That's what you get when you live in New England. You get snow. So that's that's the deal. It, it, it is what it is. But I just wanted to to say the congratulations to Joe Biden. We officially have a new president. It's over. The Electoral College has said Joe Biden is our next president. So let's all get together. Let's start the healing process. Let's get behind our new president and our vice president and get this COVID thing under control so that we can get back out. I can dress up as a Klingon and wave my bat lift around. Cause God, I miss that. I miss that. Like you can't understand and just get back to our normal lives. So but let's, let's try to make a new year's resolution and make that happen. So anyways, without any further ado, let's dive right into comic corner uh, the first book we're going to talk about is the final story in the Deep Space Nine book, uh, Too Long a Sacrifice. And, uh, yeah, well, um, <laughs> Eric, why don't you start us off <laughs> on this one? Because, yeah. <laughs> you're, set, you're setting me up here. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, okay, now this is. This is fair because I can find a little bit of good in almost anything. So I think that um, all along the way, I don't think I would be overstepping my bounds if I had said that some of us on the show have been a little skeptical of the series along the way. Um, you know, it's been kind of compelling. Uh, it, it wants to be a kind of Dick Tracy novel or, or uh, excuse me, book, uh, you know, comic type thing where there's a mystery that's unfolding. Um, I think it's meant to be very intriguing. It's got cool things like uh, Bajorans and Betazoids and, you know, of course, Odo being the center of it all. 
So uh, in this issue, it picks up, uh, of course, right where the last one uh, left off, um, where our Inquisitor comes to the uh, Bajoran Vedic and, you know, suspects that he's been involved in this whole thing is basically he, he mind scans the dude uh, and finds out that he's not involved. And so there's a little bit of backlash from that because then uh, both he and Odo are puzzled again and sort of, you know, stuck with not really knowing what's going on. And then there's a scene uh, a little bit after that where they go um, to the cafe there, the cafe that was blown up at the beginning of the series, which has now been rebuilt by Cisco, um, and it's run by this woman named uh, Levin, or Lavin. I'm going to say Levin. That It's L-A-V-I-N. And, um, and just by chance, as they're kind of sitting there being served, um, the Betazoid uh, Inquisitor is able to kind of inadvertently, I guess, mind scan Levin and instantly finds out, guess what, Jim? It was her I was shocked. all along. <laughs> I was stunned. My, floor, yeah. my mouth hit the floor. I was totally, yeah. I did not see that coming. It caught me completely so, off guard. So I do not think that I would be outside my my purview if I were to say that I believe it was after we read the first issue and we talked about it. Jim said something akin to, it better not be <laughs> the establishment runner <laughs> or this whole thing is going to be uh, junk. And well, uh, I guess I'll let Jim tell you his opinion here in a minute. But, um, but that being said, uh, it was interesting that when he mind scans her, he kind of gets a uh, insight into what her life was like under Cardassian occupation on the on the uh, station there, and so I do think that I do think that part was interesting. Um, they devoted several pages to it. I think it was two or three pages to that at least, and in fact they showed how her kind of mental state sort of uh, deteriorated after the Cardassians killed her brother. Uh, and she got to kind of plotting and executing revenge to such a degree that she even started killing people who may or may not have been a, uh, originally involved in everything that was going on on the station. Some of these Ferengi that we've seen die throughout the series, uh, to name a few. So I do think that those pages were kind of interesting to see what motivated her to kind of blow up her shop at the beginning. And actually the story unfolds in a pretty logical way. I, I think the only... I, I will say that I did, if I kind of take away the fact that I already knew who done it before we got here, I did actually kind of like this book. I thought that it, the, the book itself kind of unfolded in kind of an interesting way. It has like a nice chase after she's sort of discovered and runs away. Um, you know, there's, there's the flashback scene that I just talked about. <clears throat> the, the very, very ending is kind of lame. I think the last page is kind of stinky personally. Um, but I do think there's some good stuff in this book. It's just it's too bad that it was so obvious who it was all along. So I I, I kind of liked this book, uh, but it's not like what I would consider, you know, one of the upper ones that we've read recently. That's my opinion. What do you think, Charles? I kind of agree. I like the, I like the blue effect with the backstory. Mm-hmm. I like how they went to blue, shades of blue when she's looking in the past. Yeah, she nice memory. A of how, how she did things, why she did things. 
I think it was the. I think Odo figured it out. <clears throat> I think Odo figured, <coughs> figured it out after Bedek. Because he sits there and says, let's go to lunch. And he specifically wants to go to that restaurant. And I think, I think he had a plan. I think he wanted the other detective to see her. Oh, interesting. He could pick something up there. I think, I think Odo suddenly suspected it was her, and he needed him to get the truth. So this is the one case where he was actually successful in actually getting out the full truth of what we were looking for. I like that and explanation. How far she can get through that? Interesting how far she can get through that uh, space station without yeah. getting captured. Well, that's, I was kind of thinking all along the way as she's running away, I'm thinking to myself, where's she going to go? Like, I, I know yeah. DS9 does have a CD underbelly. It's got, a, it's got kind of its own little underworld, but it's not, like, it's a station. Like, <laughs> she's not going anywhere. Yeah. She's going to steal the ship, right? So the chase was a little, it's like it was kind of exciting, but then it's a little anticlimactic because you know for sure that she's going to get uh, caught it's just a matter of who does she kill along the way. There's kind of that like yeah. brush with O'Brien along the way, which seemed a little yeah. I don't know it seemed a little incidental. I don't know if that if that added too much to the story. I mean basically O'Brien was there to let them know that the guy's plan of flooding the corridors with anesthesine gas uh, wouldn't work because Cardassians have shoddy workmanship in their stations and nothing's airtight. <laughs> Which actually, yeah. now that I think about it, to have O'Brien be the one to reveal that is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Given his feelings for the Cardassians, but yeah. Well, it's interesting how Quark almost Quark. He tries to kill Quark in the process that um, Morn is bumped into, and what does Quark immediately do? Got to go apologize to Morn. Got to, oh, are you sure you're okay, Morn? Yep. Need to get and you out of the <laughs> His best customers. Yeah, that was funny. So, it was an interesting story. I just, I wish they'd woven a bigger web or kind of keep us away from realizing it was her. I guess that's what, yeah, you're right. That's a great way to to kind of describe it. Charles, I think we all wanted kind of one more layer of complexity. Like the web wasn't quite big enough or deep enough or whatever. It just it just wanted like you wanted a we little were, bit more. We would think more it was some political. Layer. We thought it was a uh, more of a political issue, not revenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Given all of the Cardassian slash Bajoran stuff, uh, and they actually referenced. How Beta Z uh, is under occupation by the Cardassians now too. So you would have thought there was well, a little bit of between. Uh, oh, that Ferengi was killed off Ferengi because too? of it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she killed off several Ferengi too. Weapons dealers well, knew, she killed off. I knew she killed them off. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So Jim, lay it on us, buddy. What did you think? Well. You know what they say, <clears throat> revenge is a dish best served cold, right? <laughs> Isn't that what they say? <laughs> Someone famous said yeah, that. Yeah, that is what they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I think someone else said that in space, all warriors are cold warriors. So someone said that, too. Mm, I think. I like that one. Interesting. Well, yeah. So, you know, I, I muddled my way through these four four issues. I slugged along. I I was I I I told you guys when we first read it, it's her. It was uh, they they wrote it right on the wall, and I think you're right. I was expecting a little bit more from it, a little deeper, and we didn't get it. And I guess that's fine. It's a comic book. You, for God's sakes, it's not it's not you know some Academy Award winning novel, you know. But um, yeah. Uh, the chase scene, I I just I, I found to be like utterly ridiculous. It reminded me of Star Trek. Whenever somebody steals a shuttle, they can never stop them. Or whenever they, <laughs> they they're going to beam off the ship, they can never stop them from transporting. It's always too late. And it's like it's yeah. one of those tropes where you know someone's stealing a shuttle, Captain. Well, lock down the landing bay. Too late, they're gone. Well, that was effective, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or Someone's beaming off the ship without permission. Well, Mr. Worf, lock out the transporters. <laughs> I can't. They're gone. You know? Yeah. It, it was just one of those things where they needed to fill some pages, so let's have her run through the station. And, you know, I, I would have thought that, that Odo could have called the security and, and got her right away. I mean, they were training for the invasion of the Dominion, and you would have think that catching some crazy uh, uh, waitress running through the station would be a piece of cake. You would think that is um, that is interesting. We never actually saw Odo. Did Odo ever deploy any security forces throughout this entire series? He never did. I mean, I guess this was, would have been the only time he would have had opportunity because everything else was an investigation. But he never he never used any other resources other than this dude who was sort of thrust upon him. Yeah, he he didn't do anything that that you would think he would do. So what's up with that, Odo? That was... That's pretty, like, like, wouldn't Odo be more thorough than that? Wouldn't Odo use every single resource at his disposal? Like, he should well, have yeah, pumped that's... more people for more information, I think. Right, that, that, right, that was my point. I think that, yeah. that Odo could have done more than, than what was done. I mean, am I, am I, am I, am I wrong? your opinion so no i mean i mean i mean what did i mean what did you think yeah no i i absolutely agree with you i i think that the that's what you know charles i think was just saying was that that it didn't the odo that we it's that layer of complexity thing the the odo that we saw here when i read this book unlike many many of the other books that i have read recently i almost always read Odo or any of these characters with their voice. Like it just automatically comes to my head as I'm reading the comic. I audiate their voice in my head. This one, I just didn't, it just didn't do that for me. Like I didn't catch the Odo voice. Um, Maybe it was the lack of dialogue. There were a lot of uh, pages that were kind of like pretty sparse for dialogue. Of course, there were some that were very dense as well, but uh, the layer of complexity in the like, what would Odo actually do if it was Odo from DS9? Um, he would certainly have consulted. I mean, he did go to the underground once, kind of got a false lead on some Noskins, da 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 da, some other things. Um, but to have it lead in a circle right back around to where it started, 
I mean, I know a lot of science fiction is kind of written that way. It sort of ends where it begins. But in this case, because it's a mystery to have it, like, like you were just saying, Jim, presented straight away, uh, and then to, to have that sort of suspicion come true was like, eh. and I And I think that part of this is because we have very high expectations. Man, IDW has been putting out some amazing, amazing, amazing comics. Like some of the best comics, Star Trek comics I've read, um, have come out over the last two or three years. So obviously our bar has been set very high. Um, and when something just is kind of like doesn't quite get there, maybe we're a little critical of it. So it's not a bad book. It's not a bad series. It just kind of well, like the, the discovery exciting. books that we've been reading, the, the comic books, the discovery comics that we've been reading. Yeah. Up, Those are have been nothing but, but top notch. You yeah. know, yeah. they've, they've, they've yeah. been like right there. Um, I found this one to be very disappointing. I was very disappointed. I, I I didn't like the covers. This cover was probably the best of the four, but that's not saying a lot. <laughs> um, this one was kind of interesting. I mean, it has it has kind of that bluish thing that Charles was talking about, the memory thing, kind of around the bottom side of it, and then Odo in color, and it it looks like one of those cool movie posters where you get a bunch of faces of characters that are going to be in that uh, episode or that movie. Um, and I particularly like the Bashir. Bashir looks really intense. It's like Bashir from when um, the restaurant originally got blown up when he and Garrick were there. And he's, he's like, ah, like uh, everything's happening right now. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a good-looking cover, probably the best of the series, I would agree. Yeah, the, the cover was, I mean, for the, the, the cover was, was better than the book itself in this particular case, I thought. But I was very disappointed. In this, in these four issues, I really, really was. Um, now, do you think? Do you think we were disappointed? Do you think you were disappointed because they were bad, or because we have high expectations, or do you think it's a combination of both? Well, I, I, to be honest with you, Odo's not my favorite Deep Space Nine character to begin mm. with, and I've never been a huge Odo fan. I'm, I, I, you know, I've always kind of gravitated towards maybe Major Kira. Dax, maybe Worf for sure, but uh, Odo was always my least favorite character on Deep Space Nine. So I wasn't really, uh, you know, excited to get an Odo story. He's not my favorite character, so that didn't help. Uh, you know, uh, the the covers were kind of bland. That that didn't help either. Some of the artwork in the books were really good, but other Others were lacking, so there's that. The story, the story kind of crawled along, didn't really build up like a good mystery. You know, when I read them, I look at them like an episode. That's the way you know. And I, like you, I usually read them in the when I'm reading it in the voice. Uh, you know, and this one I didn't quite do that because, you know, it just didn't have that episodic that that star trek episode feel about it i'm not really sure why but i did i did enjoy i mean i don't like to be really be a lot of there's a lot of negativity in the world and i don't like to be one of those those negative nelly naysayer hater people i really that's not my thing so i but i i did really like seeing the 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 seedy underbelly of the station and that's something we never Mm -hmm. saw on the tv show really 
I thought that was so cool when, when they went there and, and we actually got to see it. And that, you know, cause deep space nine, there was a lot more to explore on deep space nine. I feel that, that they never really got a chance to do. And seeing the shady underbelly of the station is one of those things. We know it's there, but we've never seen it. We've seen the promenade. Uh, we've seen Quark's dealings with the shady underbelly, but we've never actually seen it. Well, Odo took us there. We went there in this book, and that was cool. And, you know, there's Ferengis down there wheeling and dealing and selling arms and, you know, card players and things, like all kinds of shady stuff going on. And that was really cool. I thought to give us a side of deep space nine that we'd never really seen before. That was awesome. And the, the beta, when they talked about uh, Betazoid being um, occupied, I thought that was, that was a, a nice thing to throw in there and how this guy uh, was dealing, you know, with that, with Bajor being occupied and how he, how he felt about his planet being occupied. That was a cool little, little tidbit that was thrown in there as well so you yeah, know there was were, actually there were some good things there was, there, on that front jim there was actually that one part that i did like in this one where he's talking about um you know the kind of psychological damage that occupation does and how that would be super magnified on a planet full of empaths right so i did think that was kind of an interesting thing to think about because it's a we get a little microcosm of it during TNG when we see how Troy is sometimes affected by things around her, how her emotions change based on the sort of empathic vibes that she's picking up out there. But that to I had never actually kind of imagined that on a planetary scale. And this book does bring up the occupation of Beta Z as, you know, that could be potentially super brutal for these people. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that. I did like I did like that aspect of it. I thought that was interesting. And the Morn thing, like Charles said, the Morn thing, I thought it was great. Because Morn <laughs> Morn can really get out of control, you know. He he can get very boisterous and get out of control <laughs> if you don't calm him down. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was great. When Cork runs over and gets him another drink and makes sure he's happy. I thought that was great. That was a, a really I... fun callback to Deep Space Nine. And if you think that about it, you know, I I bet nobody has run up uh, a larger bill at Quarks than Morn, given uh, how often we see him at the bar. <laughs> so he's a very good yeah, customer. Yeah, I did. I enjoyed seeing uh, Morn and that little that little uh, comedy. Well, I don't know if it was comedy, but that little just a couple of little of little uh, squares about Morn and Quark. I thought that was great. I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. But um, yeah, overall though, I I wasn't overly impressed with the book, with the with the four books myself. You know. Yeah. You know, I would like to see actually more kind of detective-y stories. I think that they this is a cool format, and I do actually, as a guy who is an Odo uh, person, I did like Odo. Um, I could see getting into a story like this, but let's make it. Maybe it was too short. Maybe they were constrained by how much they had to accomplish and the number of issues they had. Let's make it a, you know, a six or a twelve issue. Uh, I mean, we've we've seen from year five how you can do really cool long story arcs over like twelve issues. So maybe that maybe that's a cool way to explore this sort of story in the future. 
IDW chooses to again. Well, it'd be interesting to see how this comic sold uh, compared to some of the other ones more recently. I mean, I, I bet that most people who are buying Star Trek comics are probably subscribers anyway, so they're buying it, you know, whether it's any good or not. But uh, it would be interesting to see if maybe this one didn't sell quite as well. Well, I said, you know, to me, the most important part of a comic book is the cover. It's got to be. The cover has got to make you want to buy the book. Absolutely. If the cover's drab and colorless and lifeless, you're going to flip right by it and pick a different book. You know, that's what makes comic book cover art so fascinating. And a lot of times, the like, comic book cover might have nothing to do with the book itself, but that never stopped you from buying it. And the covers on these were just, eh. Some of the alternate covers, I thought, w- w- should have been on the book. We talked about this when we earlier. Um, so the, the cover's got to grab you. It's got to be colorful. It's got to be vibrant. It's got to jump out at you. This one didn't do that. And it actually was a perfect representation of the way the book was. It was kind of dark. It was kind of drab. It was kind of blasé. It was kind of, ah. Uh. And the cover actually reflected my feeling of the book perfectly. So I guess I'm complaining about nothing. <laughs> so, well, you know. yeah, I mean, maybe maybe what we want is we want Dixon Hill. Maybe that's what we want. <laughs> Instead well, of Oda. Yeah. I don't know. I think because I like the gumshoe thing, right? I love, I, like, I love old timey noir detective stories. Those are, I, I totally dig that kind of genre, and I love it intermixed with Star Trek. It just, like, that's so cool. Maybe, well, maybe it needs to be Jean Luc. <laughs> I like the Odo War thing, and that went away. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's true. We never really get yeah. to see it Odo and War because totally. they're. Yeah. Odo and Worf are different sides of the same coin, where, you know, Worf's a security guy, and so is Odo, but Odo's a security guy to the teeth, whereas Worf's like, well, you know, we can go slap him around and he'll talk. So they're different. Right. And I was really getting in, and I'm a huge Worf guy, so when, when I got an opportunity to see Worf and Odo work together, I was like, maybe this won't be that bad. But then it disappeared. It just kind of evaporated. Yeah, I got to be closer instead. Yeah, we got this mm. other dude showing up. So, so you know, I was I thought that the Worf Odo dynamic would have been fun to explore a little further. But well, there you go. So, so what would you what would you rate the uh, the book, Charles, on a scale of one to ten? Would you how much would you recommend the? Well, no, not just the book. How about the book and the whole the whole series in general? Because this is the final one. In the story, I think the whole series. I'll just I'll give it a seven. I enjoyed it. They could have done a lot more with it. Seven. That's not too. That's not a bad score. Much more generous than me. Not bad. <laughs> Eric, how about you? Um, I kind of feel like. Whew, I'll be a little generous. From my point of view, I'll give it a six and a half. Um, my heart actually tells me it's probably closer to a six. Yeah. Six and a quarter. That's my final answer. Six and a quarter. Yeah, I was, you know, I was thinking five and a half, five point eight, maybe. Not quite a six. Um, because 
I knew who it was right right from the first page of the first issue. I, I told you guys, oh, it's her. <laughs> and, and, and you know, yeah, I, I think it was 5.8. I, uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend this book. If you, if you were going to read a Star Trek book, if you were looking for something to read, I would pass this one by. I just, I wouldn't even bother picking it up. Yeah, I would opinion. say if you're an, if you're an avid reader of Star Trek comics, then pick it up. But if you're looking for a new Star Trek comic to pick up and start enjoying, this might not be the one. No, you you go, go with year five. Go with some of the Discovery stuff. That's great, particularly the Light of Kales. I thought that was a great Discovery series that we read. The Mirror Universe series was also good and uh, that might be relevant to what's going on on discovery this week. Who knows? You have to check that out, but at any rate, there's our scores and uh, we're sticking to them. But now, now we're going to talk about star Trek year five issue 15 and 16. And I will say that, that the covers on these books don't disappoint. They're vibrant, <laughs> colorful. Uh, they're 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 what you come to expect from IDW. Um, the story, the the character that shows up, the characters that show up, um, they're they're fascinating to coin Mister Spock. And uh, yeah, so uh, who wants to start off with this one, Charles, Eric, Charles? How about you want to start <laughs> off with issue? Yeah, Charles. Okay. Well, this one. Kind of started getting me off thinking, well, I guess. But I think it was the it was the end of the book that caught my attention. But as we start in issue fifteen, we can see the star, the Enterprise zipping around, flying around. And the Attorney General that we just saw in the last episode talking with Kirk and basically it comes down to we need to go spy on looking at the originists. Because the originists are trying to get a candidate for the president of the Federation. And they're very worried about the candidate. <clears throat> so Kirk talks with Spock, and Spock's very hesitant to be involved right now. Spock's got something on his mind. But that they decide to send down Scotty and Bright Eyes. Still not figured out why they sent Bright Eyes down. But they send him down to the planet. And we get to Andor, the capital city of Andoria. So we get to visit Andoria and visit the leader of Andoria. And discussing their plan, the political plan. And we find out who their candidate is as he walks into the door. Spoiler alert, Hardcore Fett and Mud shows up. 
with one of these oh, Android. Yeah. And I'm like, oh no, not Harry Mudd. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Friend okay. Kirk. Friend Kirk. My dear old friend. Yeah. Friend Kirk. Yeah, and not just any Harry Mudd, right, Charles? Oh, he's <clears throat> the future Federation president. It's hardcore set in mud. An older Harry Mud. And they definitely show the fact that their displeasure of them picking here hardcore in here. But he goes into details of how he's changed, how he left planet, and how he's changed to try to improve himself and his assistant, which we we believe which is one of the is another one of the androids. So we get through more discussion and debate over it. And Sally thinks she can try dealing with the android. Well, poor Bright Eyes still doesn't understand what's going on. He tries to come up with a plan to deal with the android and gets the wind knocked out of him trying. There's all of her backhand. Some ideas in her head, so we go to hardcore and to see him discussing with his secretary things going on. And the last page is the one that got me. It's like, oh, now things are getting interesting. And should we spoil it to who shows up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wait a second. Wait, before we do that, though, you got to do Black little... alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. It... Yeah, we had to get Will Wheaton in there. Go ahead. Do it. Yeah. They've been warned. That's definitely, this is definitely a spoiler. Who shows up? Gary Seven returns. Yes. Gary Seven and, and ISIS, ISIS, I think. Okay, now the story has gotten interesting. It's like, and we get right to the bottom of that page. We got a full page of Gary Seven and ISIS. And right at the bottom, TV continues. It's like, oh, man. Now the episode's going good. Yes. That was a good so, cliffhanger there. So okay. let's talk about this. Let's talk about this book before we talk about. But, and what's good about this is they, they both go together. We're talking about the whole episode yeah. simultaneously. Usually we break them up, but this month we get to do the whole story, which I kind of like, actually. Yeah, and, that's, yeah. and for anybody who hasn't heard us review these before, that's because the Year 5 comics right now are kind of coming out where a, a single story occurs in a pair of comics. Um, so there's there's kind of three things going on. There's one story that happens in a single comic. There's a story that happens over a pair of comics. And then there's always a longer arc that's happening throughout a series of issues as well. Yeah. Right. 
So, uh, Eric, you want to start us off with your feelings on book 15? Yeah, I really dug this book. Um, I it's a, I was hoping that I hadn't missed anything. It is a total mystery what's going on with Spock right now, right? Yep. I, yeah, it is. Yeah, okay, okay, good. Yeah. Because I I was completely puzzled, you know, basically in this book, uh, after everything that Charles was just talking about, um, you know, Spock convinces the captain that he's not the one that's supposed to go down to the planet, and uh, it's because... Uh, he eventually ends up in sickbay uh, with Nurse Chapel, who is doing some scans, and we find out that Spock hasn't actually been feeling like himself, and he's actually been having some trouble yep. with his emotions. Except, uh, that except that's the second oh, half of the book. Oh, that's the second. I'm sorry. That's the next one. All right. Yeah, you're well, getting heavier. Yeah. Well, anyway, so sorry. They're setting it up here, I guess, <laughs> that he yeah. is going to stay behind for some reason, and we do not know why. Um I actually do, uh, in terms of the Bright Eyes story, Charles, you were saying, I wonder why they sent Bright Eyes down to the planet. I think they tried to explain that in the one panel where Bright Eyes says, you'd like them, you'd like me to go on the mission because they will hate me. And I think that the idea was that uh, they, f- they feel like that will give them, I think, uh, more trust with these people, I guess. I'm not really sure. Uh, but I do think that having bright eyes is interesting there because the Andorians are obviously not super thrilled that there's a Tholian there. Um, they they refer to uh, them as a pet, uh, and so that's obviously they're not thinking them them as a sentient being. So, but I will say that one of the things that I really like the best, and then I, it actually caused me to go back and do a bunch of research to see if we if I could find anything else. But is that we get to see a little bit of Andor. We get to see what the architecture looks like and how some of the buildings yeah. hook together and that sort of thing. And I could not find another, other than in other comics and stuff, which have occasionally referenced Andorians, I don't think we've ever seen Andor on the show. Uh, the only real Andorian that we ever had uh, of consequence in any of the shows was, of course, Shran. And I don't think we spent too much time. We may have been underground a couple times in his on his planet, but I don't remember seeing vast cities or anything, unless you guys can correct me on that. So no, I found that pretty... No. Yeah, I found that interesting. And then I also found it interesting that this is Rain Wilson's mud. This is obviously his face that they're using here. And so... If you think about it, there he's the mud that we get in 2256 with Discovery. Then in the 2260s, we get, um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the actor's name, but the gentleman who played him in TOS. And then now we are five years after the beginning, so presumably this comic has taken place in what, 2271? Because I think it's five years after... Um, Enterprise was launched. So at any rate, to just to see the well, it'd be return five, it'd of that. Well, it be five years after Kirk launched. It'd Correct, yeah. yeah. Which I think is in the, in 66 or something like that. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. But just to see that character come back as the older version I thought was really cool. Um, the Andorians yeah. with their kind of backwards antennas are a little puzzling to me. That was one little artistic choice that was made that I didn't quite understand. But overall, the thing that I really like about the book is this political story that you can get this guy who is a total cult of personality, right? He just, he's got nothing going for him. He's got a criminal record, um, and yet 
the Andorian uh, campaign manager there is convinced this guy can win the election because he knows people and he knows how to talk to people and he knows how to convince people of his views and that sort of thing. So I thought that was kind of an interesting overall arc in the story um, that I really liked. I will say that the, the, there was one little mistake, I think, in the book, which is in the middle, they kind of go back and they say, he says, oh, the last time you saw me is when you left me um, with all of those androids, right? Which was from, uh, that's from iMud, right? That's the last TOS episode, or is that from, what's the other Mud oh. episode? iMud was the right first now. one. That's Mud's the first one. women, I think, was the second one. Okay. And Mud's women is when he's entrapped on the planet and gets Stella. But older Stella. we actually actually get a Harry Mud story in TAS also, which happens yeah. after that. And if you look at the timing of the TAS episode, theoretically, they only saw Mud like two years ago. So I think there's a little mistake in this book where they didn't they didn't acknowledge the TS episode that Mud shows up in. That could and be what used... happens. They just didn't do the TAS episode. Yeah, yeah. They just used Mud's women as the one that they kind of defaulted back to. So yep. not enough to really send me, you know, reeling or anything, but just one little thing that I kind of noticed for all the super Star Trek nerds out there like me. Uh, well, <laughs> that's because the uh, whole the whole TAS yeah. thing is like. Some people consider it canon and official. Some people don't. Roddenberry did, then he didn't. Then Paramount did, then they didn't. Now they do. It, 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 you know, to me, it has the voices. It was done by the actual yeah. writers. It, it's, it's canon. And actually now we know it's canon because it's been acknowledged on Lower Decks. You know what I think I'm going to so, do, Jim? I'm going to have T-shirts printed that say 50-foot Spock exists. And I'm going to go on a campaign to make everybody believe in TOS as canon. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is because they, they talked about it on Lower Decks, which is canon. So a couple of times, more than once, matter of fact, they, they mentioned TAS on Lower Decks. So, yeah, yeah, it's canon. They do. They do. So so I do, as Charles was describing, I love the – I love the page where Scotty is kind of stalking the android and then he gets whacked. There's two pages that are literally just him kind of sneaking up behind her and then he kind of gets caught and then he gets nailed and almost gets knocked out. Uh, hilarious. And I was so excited when Gary Seven showed up at the end. I, I, so, yeah, I enjoyed this book. book. It, 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 it reminded me a lot of what's going on in the political world today here in the United States. And uh, it was like a, a mirror for what's going on here. And so I, I, I picked up on that. Uh, you know, the, the ISO, what did they call them? The originalists? Is that what they were called? Originalists. Originalists. Or, yeah. Yeah. They were uh, kind of, I don't know, like isolationist type of people. And sending bright eyes down there was kind of like, kind of like Kirk's way of, of throwing them off balance. You know, yeah. and I thought that was yeah. great to send him down there. And and it's great that that we have that character still hanging around the Enterprise. It doesn't make any sense, but it's great that he's there because they did the same that, thing. I, I think I mentioned there. this earlier. Um, back in the 80s, after Star Trek III, uh, we actually get moths 
on the Enterprise as the first Klingon officer. So he hangs around on the Enterprise even though, you know, there's no Klingons. He's on the Enterprise because, you know, they capture him. So they wrote the character into the comic books, even though it doesn't make sense Star Trek-wise. And it was great to see things from a Klingon perspective long before Worf, long before any of this other stuff. And I think it's great that we get to see Bright Eyes and we get to see things from his perspective and his relationship with the crew. And I think that's great. I really like that character and what, what they're doing with him and how we're learning about the Federation through his eyes. I think that's great. I really enjoyed that part of the story immensely, actually. So I'm yeah, glad Bright Eyes is that. one of my favorite characters because you get to see things almost through a child's eyes. Um, I mean, they, when, they, when they ask questions, they ask questions with almost childlike simplicity that kind of makes everybody double think, you know, are, are you going to hurt them? Are you going, you know, simple things like that that make you kind of think, well, gosh, I, I guess that is what I'm suggesting that I'm going to do. Um, so um, that character almost functions as a little bit of a conscience for some of these other crew members. So I think that's very interesting. And I just think it's cool to have one Atholian on the ship as a regular character and two, a character that even before Adir Tal here identifies uh, in a gender-neutral way as they, um, and, you know, that's just kind of getting it into the vocabulary of folks who are reading the book. So very interesting character. I agree, Joe. And I also like the relationship that's developed between him and Scotty, too. I think, that, I think that's an interesting uh, dynamic that they've created there. Yeah, absolutely. Bright Eyes and Scotty have a really cool friendship brewing, and I think that Scotty is actually one of the ones who's benefiting from this perspective that I was just talking about, where where he's kind of getting, um, you know, he's checking himself uh, against Bright Eyes' suggestions, and I think that's a good thing. I think it kind of shows that uh, that Star Trek idea that, you know, we're all a lot stronger when we kind of work together on something and we accept each other's ideas every once in a while and sort of approach every situation without pride or, or that kind of thing, but just with an open mind, like, Oh yeah, maybe I should check myself. So. Yeah. It's a great addition. I think to the, to the dynamic of Star Trek, because we, we, we've spent 54 years with these characters. It's to, to stir things up and throw something new into the mix is always welcome. So I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. glad that they added bright eyes. Um, Harry Mudd. Yeah. I thought the Harry Mudd was great. And I liked, I liked the artwork, how it was the rain Wilson, Harry Mudd from discovery. I thought that was great. It resembled more of him, you know, than I, I than, must admit, um, he looked, he looked really good in the book on the cover though. When I saw the cover of this book, I thought it was Chris Pine Kirk holding the flag and not Harry Mudd. Like when you look at his face, he looks like Chris Pine Kirk with a beard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But overall though, I I enjoy, I thought that the artwork in this book was great. The colors and the layout Mm -hmm. of the panels, the way it moved when you were going through the pages was, was, was great. Um, the cover with the flag and the Federation was kind of like Sansa Iwo Jima E, like like John Wayne ish, um, uh-huh. uh-huh. planting of the American flag type of deal. And I overall I enjoyed it, 
after reading the Deep Space Nine book, this was a great one to move on to next. You know, it, it, it was, was like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it was like everything I come to expect from well, IDW, and there, and there it was. This was a more lighthearted story. True. Whereas Deep yeah. Space Nine was a more in-depth dark story. Curious. This was more of a very lighthearted story. Yeah, I mean, Deep Space Nine was based around a murder, right? Or or a series, yeah. Or a, a, a bombing right. and then a bunch of murders. So, a little darker. But we better move on, and, guys, and I also, we have another one to do here. I, I just want to say I like the way they carried the the um, uh, the JAG character from the last uh, story through into this one. And how they, mm. they had that character there and carried her through this book as well. I thought that was great when they when they kind of tie things together like that. So overall, what would you score this book, Eric? Uh, super solid book. Uh, let's give it, uh, like it didn't blow my mind, but I really dug it. So I will give it an eight and a half. That's, that's you know, excellent. Excellent. Charles? It wasn't quite grabbing me to really the last slide. But I think with the last slide, I'll bump it to an eight. Yeah, and I think I'm right there with you guys. I think I think eight point three ish, eight point four ish, really. Um, so yeah, colors. I like the artwork. I like the story. I like the characters. This was this was what you've come to expect from IDW. So Eric, you want to wrap us up with issue sixteen? Uh, sure, absolutely. So issue 16, of course, is the second half of the Harry Mudd story. Uh, and it's really cool because it starts out with a kind of uh, almost like political commercial where you get Harry Mudd saying, you know, don't you want a world that's better? And don't you want something where, uh, you know, the people who started the whole thing come first and, you know, all of this kind of stuff, and I'm the one who can help you build that future. So it, it starts with a really, really kind of funny political campaign um, thing, which I thought was hilarious. Um, you move into some Kirk logs, which I do like, um, but what's interesting in this one is I I think that the Kirk logs in this one just basically the the the, the message is Kirk hates politics. And that's about it. <laughs> like there's, and he really, and he can see right through Harry Mud, and he knows that this is all going to go bad. So he just kind of has to wait and see like how it's going to go bad before he can do anything about it. So that I think is frustrating for Kirk. Um, so it's testing his patience a little bit. And in this series where we have a Kirk who's already been through a lot, I mean, those first 12 issues for him were kind of brutal. Um, and now he's, he's in a few other tense situations. So that, that keeps it going. Um, and then Gary Seven comes back into the into the show, and we actually kind of find out that, you know, of course, he's got a secret agenda. We don't know what it is. We know it involves the future because that's where he's from. And he says somewhere in this book that he's got to kind of, like, make sure that things happen the way that they're supposed to happen, um, which time travel, you know, don't think about it too hard, people. It'll hurt your brain. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, he is definitely involved, and he is definitely a Harry Mud advocate. He wants Harry Mudd to be in this position that he's in right now where he's at least um, running for for president. So uh, I think that's super interesting. 
This book, I guess, is the one that has a little bit more of the relationship between Bright Eyes and Scotty that we started talking about a little bit. Uh, and this is the one that has more of the lines about uh, where Bright Eyes is actually acting as Scotty's conscience. So I obviously like that, that part of this book. We get more scenes with uh, Nurse Chapel and Spock, which I think are very touching and very nice. Uh, yeah. I think I think for the first time we get kind of a recognition. Well, maybe not for the first time because there's kind of instances of it in TOS too. But here it's kind of more overt, where Scott Spock absolutely knows that Nurse Chapel is totally in love with him, <laughs> and uh, you know she's kind of giving him dreamy eyes as she's telling him that uh, that so far everything's okay and that he can still be on duty. But he's he checks her and he says, you know, I hope that your opinion's not based on sentiment. Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool because that shows a growth of that relationship that never became a relationship, I guess, or never became the relationship that Chapel wanted, I'll say. Um, so I really liked that scene with, with Scotty and Chapel, or excuse me, Spock and Chapel. Um, then we get some Scotty, like more of him and the android, uh, which is really cool. And then we get, of course, the twist where uh, we find out what, Mud's actually up to, and we get my absolute favorite page of the whole comic, which is why I kind of plowed through because I wanted to get to this page. There's a page where Mud is holding uh, his political campaign manager hostage, um, has a gun to her head, is dragging her into a shuttle. You turn the page. The top panel of the page shows that, that Spock has suddenly shown up behind them. He grabs Mud and pinches his neck. Mud passes out. <laughs> and then uh, Spock's like, Captain, it appears to me that any diplomatic discussions had come to an end. My apologies if I've interrupted. <laughs> and Kirk says, apology accepted, Mr. Spock. <laughs> so yeah. best page in the whole book, in my opinion, just like classic Spock. He just shows up, boom, Vulcan neck pinch, game over. Uh, <laughs> the book ends with, I think, still a bit of a mystery. Um, we yeah. see Gary Seven again in the end here, and he's talking to um, this person who now also seems to be having a direct connection to some other originalists, and we see multiple races. We see a, a Tellarite, we see a Vulcan, a um, couple other races there. So there's definitely a conspiracy going on behind the scenes here, and we definitely know she's involved, and we know that she knows who Gary Seven is, and that Gary Seven is definitely involved in the mystery too so we we get a little bit of closure well we get closure of the mud story i'll say but we definitely have um more gary seven coming i think which yeah. is exciting to me well he's, so. yeah he's and gary seven's to... been carrying on through the whole he's been the thread through through a lot of the books so far he's like an ongoing he's like a cue mm -hmm. ongoing yeah yeah but I think he's I think he's trying to adjust the election to the direction it needs to go. But this person I think might be the right person, right candidate. Instead of Harry, which we find out for the money, we kinda of think that this gal actually this I'm gonna say probably female is a better candidate for president. And I think that's Gary's trying to sway it in that direction. 
Yep. Right. Yeah. So, I agree. So good book. Good book. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I yeah, enjoyed you... it too. I thought that I, I really enjoyed it. I thought the the everything about it was good. I like the colors. I like the cover. I like the story. I like the flow. I like the layout of the panels. Um, I like the characterizations in it. This 15 and 16, I I thought were really good bookends for each other and really enjoyable. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny because I found myself smiling several times as I was reading this book, and I was realizing that you know a, a story doesn't have to be a happy story to make me smile, but there are some things in here that are clever, or ironic, or tropey that that do make me smile while I'm reading it. And I think I think these two issues are, I agree, Jim, an excellent continuation of the series. And you get kind of a very familiar but fresh and new Harry Mudd story, which is fun. Yeah, Harry Mudd's always fun. Yeah. So, uh, Charles, what would you, scale of 1 to 10, what would you give this one? This one, especially how the story went, I'll go from 8.2. I'll increase mine from the base. Of eight point two. Yeah. What about you, Eric? Yeah, I think I may have liked this one slightly less than the first issue, but only very slightly. So I'm just going to stay right in that same range of eight point five for me. Very good. Yeah, I think I think I'm right there with you. Eight point five. I, I enjoyed these two books, and I'm looking forward to seeing what Gary Seven has going on in issue number seventeen. Looking forward we to know it. So little, Poor guy. We know so little about him, and there's so much to learn. It's great. I love it. It is. It, it, and, and, of course, with the temporal, with the temporal uh, accords now, we know that he, can't, that he can't be that far from the future. Otherwise, time travel is outlawed. That's right. So, you know, he, he can't be from super, super far in the future. So, nope. interesting. At mm-hmm. any rate... Um, we're just yeah, about um, out of time. Well, to get, get us ready, uh, looking it up so far, Wednesday, December 30th, will be the release of Year 5, Issue 17. And so far, January 6th is the release of Issue 18. We can pair these together. And we also now, have well, Seven of Nine Voyager story, too. We have the, Seven of Nine Voyager. The first one is out. And Next one comes out this Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, so. I see I've we, got we, on Amazon, I think on Amazon, I've got December 30th for issue two of Voyager. Well, we we got okay. we got a bunch of holidays coming up here, which is going to throw a lot of monkey wrenches into our plans. We're going to have to tap dance on a landmine here to figure out how we're going to fit everything in, but we, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Yep. Um. So, anyways, wrapping things up, I just want to say thank you to you, Eric, for hanging out and and uh, talking Star Trek comic books with us tonight. Thank you very much, Eric. You bet. I had a blast. Thanks, guys. And, of course, Charles, thank you as well for hanging out and uh, talking some Trek comics with us. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. And thank you to everybody around the globe who's listening. Uh, Run out and and support your local comic book dealer and pick up these books. Uh, You can skip the Deep Space Nine one. I don't think you'll miss anything. But if you're 
a huge Star Trek fan or if you're an Odo fan, Deep Space Nine fan, you know, maybe you want to pick it up anyways. But definitely pick up a year 5, 15, and 16. Your local comic shop would love the business. Hey, we're going to be back with you guys on Thursday. Same bat time, same bat channel. You don't want to miss it. We have so much to talk about. We've got Emperor Giorgio is back in the mirror universe again. Can't wait to talk about that. We also have Mandalorian to discuss. All of that and so much more on Trek Talking and Beyond Thursday night at 7.30. Please check it out. Look us up on Facebook, Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. Like and follow us there so you never miss a show. Tell us where you're from. We might we'll give you a fan shout-out. You never can tell. So at any rate, thank you very much. I'm Uncle Jim. I really appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Please stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.